I want to read this morning for a text from the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 9. I want to lift two verses out of this chapter and use them as our text for today's message. Jeremiah chapter 9 verse 23 and 24. The Bible says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord, which exercise loving kindness judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Father, we thank you today for your word that we can hold in our hand and hear in our ear and hide in our heart that we might not sin against you. We thank you for the heaven-bought privilege we have to be with this precious group of people that we love and cherish as our spiritual family. And I pray today, Lord, that This will not be about trying to compliment and brag on us, but it will be about us lifting up the Lord Jesus Christ and exalting His name today. You did tell us, Lord, that if you would be lifted up from the earth, you would draw all men unto you. And I pray today that that mystical power of the cross and the message of saving grace through Jesus Christ will do its perfect work in this service. We pray, Father, that we will be able to understand your word today and draw from it practical truths that will help us live lives that are pleasing and honoring to you every day we live. We pray now that you will get glory from this service and help us to do our best for your good and glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to read that uh, those two verses again, this time from a newer translation called the Contemporary English Version. I like how it says it, and I think it helps us tighten our focus a little bit on this passage of Scripture. The Contemporary English Version says, The Lord says, Don't brag about your wisdom or strength or wealth. If you feel you must brag, then have enough sense to brag about worshiping me, the Lord. What I like best is showing kindness, justice, and mercy to everyone on earth. It's been now several years ago that I received a phone call at my office in Nashville, Tennessee, where I served for 17 years. It was my good friend from Alabama named Lynn Blanchard. Lynn was a Free Will Baptist pastor, a good friend of mine, and he had a, re, a very deep, resonating bass voice whenever he spoke. When I said, this is Keith, may I help you, there was a pause and then a response on the other end of the line with two words, roll tide. If you're an Oklahoma Sooner fan, you don't enjoy hearing that kind of stuff, but he couldn't resist to the urge to call and brag about his football team. We went on to discuss Alabama's impressive win over LSU in the national championship the day before and the prospects of how the team was going to do next season. I told Lynn at the end of our conversation that all the other Alabama fans and himself had bragging rights for the next year. 
you're the big dog on the top of the heap, you're the national champions, you have the bragging rights for the next year. Of course, as you probably remember, Alabama won the national championship the following year as well. Someone said, it. I guess it's not bragging if you can back it up with your words with actions, and they did. Bragging rights. If you're like me, you don't especially enjoy hearing somebody brag, especially if they don't have a reasonable, solid basis for bragging. In the King James Version, Jeremiah uses the word glory, or the word a form of it, no less than five times in these two verses. Depending upon its context, how it's used in the, uh, the text, the Hebrew word can be translated various ways. One way it can be translated, the common translation is boast. Paul would use this expression whenever he wrote in his epistles from time to time about boasting about certain things. The prophet mentions the wise man that glories in his wisdom. The fact is there are people who boast about their mind, how smart they are. If you don't know how smart they are, just ask them and they'll tell you. They want everyone else to know that they're blessed with a good intellect. Jeremiah points to the man who glories in his might. As you know, there are those who boast about their might or their power. They possess a lot of authority and they enjoy flexing their muscles, so to speak, by showing a show of power and strength that they possess. Jeremiah said the wise that the rich man glories in his riches. Honesty dictates that we admit that there are those individuals who have a lot of money and they enjoy flaunting their wealth. We affectionately refer to this crowd as the upper crust. And you know what an upper crust is by definition, don't you? A few crumbs held together by a lot of dough. They don't mind flaunting their wealth. These three areas, of course, are not the only things that people boast about. The list is practically endless. The point the prophet, I think, here is trying to make is this. If you're going to brag, be sure you have something worth boasting about. Right about now, some of you probably are thinking or asking yourself the question, so what can a child of God justifiably boast or brag about well the lord tells us let him who glories or boast boast in this that he understands and knows me now some would probably take exception to using the word boast in this particular connection perhaps the phrase take pride in would be more appropriate in this particular connection Whatever the case, I think we all can agree that understanding and knowing God is something that we can take a great deal of pride in. You are a blessed individual if you know and understand God. Now upon first reading, you would probably think that understanding and knowing God are one and the same thing. Basically, they are. But technically, there is a subtle yet significant distinction between the word understandeth and the word know. 
unless I'm misguided in my study of this passage, the word understands is the Hebrew word sakal. Some of the potential meanings listed in the Hebrew lexicon are to consider, to instruct, or to teach. This is, in my opinion, intellectual knowledge. It is understanding our knowledge that is acquired through study or through learning. We send a considerable proportion of our lifetime under the tutelage of teachers who teach us things that we need to know and understand. We are able to apprehend those things with our intellect. On the other hand, the word knows is the Hebrew word yada. A couple of potential meanings listed in the Hebrew lexicon are to know something by experience or to be acquainted with someone or with something. That is, in my opinion, what I call intuitive knowledge. It is understanding our knowledge that is acquired through experience or through a relationship. I can know someone or I can know something intuitively, which is not different, stands in contrast to intellectual knowledge. In other words, I believe that there are some things you understand through education, for example, teaching or books learning, and other things you know through experience, for example, being around someone, having an experience with them. I believe I can substantiate this biblically. For instance, in John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus' familiar words, he said, Search the scriptures. That means study. Apply yourself and use intellectual understanding. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me. So this understanding is attained through study. That's why it's so important, I believe, for people to be in Sunday school and church each week, to acquire knowledge of God. God reveals Himself through His written Word. And that's why it's important that we spend time studying, not only in church, but having private devotions and times alone with God where we read and let His Word speak to our heart. The things that you understand and know about God are gained through intellectual experience. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 3, I believe, illustrates what I call the intuitive aspect of knowledge. Isaiah said, the ox knows, there's that word yada, the ox knows its owner and the donkey its its master's crib. But Israel does not know, my people do not consider. The word translated know in this verse is again the Hebrew word yada. I submit to you that the ox and the donkey knows who their master is. They understand their voice and they will respond to them. I submit to you the ox and the donkey have never read a book about their master and they've never taken a course on their master either. How do they know them? They know them intuitively by having an experience, a relationship with them, being around one another through observation or experience. So Jeremiah tells us we can take pride in the fact that we know God intellectually and intuitively. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to tell us three things that we can understand and know about God that I believe are especially significant. 
first, I found that we can understand and know God's loving kindness. That's what it says here in our text. I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness. When I researched this word, the two meanings that jumped off the page at me were the words mercy and pity. It is extraordinary kindness extended to the object of one's love. God extends mercy and shows pity upon His people. You can understand this about God intellectually and intuitively. When I thought about these concepts, my mind was immediately drawn to Psalms 103, verses 10 through 14. I think the psalmist there beautifully summarizes what I just talked about in God showing mercy and pity. He says there, the psalmist says, He has not dealt with us according to our sins. Aren't you glad God doesn't do that? Mercy, so does mercy. Someone said grace is when God gives you what you don't deserve, and mercy is when God doesn't give you what you do deserve. God shows mercy to us. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does He punish us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is His mercy towards those that fear Him. I'm glad that I serve a God who is a God of mercy. I was speaking to a man one time in a church that I pastored who I was trying to get him to come to the Lord and I was sharing the gospel with him and I came down to the point where I pressed him for a decision and he stood up and folded his arms and said, Preacher, I'm not asking God for any favors. All I want God to give me is what I have coming. I said, No, you don't. If God gives you what you deserve, you'll spend eternity in hell separated from God. The psalmist goes on to say, so far He has removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear Him. For He knows, there's that word yada, He knows our frame, He remembers that we are dust. This passage perfectly illustrates how God demonstrates His loving kindness, mercy, and pity. God is our Father. We are His children. If you could be around God today, He'd take His wallet out and show you the pictures of you because you're His child. He knows us, and in spite of His knowledge of us, He still loves us. Therefore, He doesn't give us what we deserve. He exercises compassion toward us as a father does his son or his child. I've got to be honest with you, I was always partial to my own kids. I had the capacity to appreciate and love people who weren't my part of my family, but there's just something about having your own kids that you pity and show mercy and have love and regard for. Secondly, we can understand and know God's judgment. Let me begin with the word of clarification here so you don't misunderstand what I'm trying to get across. I do not mean to suggest for one moment that we should hope or desire to be the object of God's judgment or experience His wrath. Heaven forbid. No one in their right mind would want God to execute divine justice and pour out His wrath on our lives. What I mean here is that we can understand 
and understand and know God's discernment. Let me explain. Jeremiah here, in my view, is differentiating between human and divine judgment. They're two different things. Human judgment is fallible. A human judge is rarely in possession of all the facts. That's a scary thought. If you were to go on trial in a courtroom somewhere, only part of the facts would be presented. Everybody doesn't know all the facts in your particular situation. In fact, there are times when human judgment is rendered on the basis of circumstantial evidence. Therefore, human judges can be wrong. They can be mistaken. Now, don't misunderstand me. I thank God that I live in a country who has the justice system that we have that presumes a person innocent until they're proven guilty. And we have an opportunity and the right to have be judged by a group of our peers based on the evidence that is against us. Judges can be wrong. They can make mistakes. Divine judgment, on the other hand, is infallible. God never relies on circumstantial evidence. God's judgment is always based on facts. All the facts. Romans 2, 2, Paul said, But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth. You will be judged according to what is truth and not hearsay or circumstantial evidence. You can make no mistake about it. God never misjudges anyone. If God gives something to you, you deserve it. Any person or situation in the light of judgment, when it comes to judgment, God perfectly discerns between truth and error. God understands, knows between mere appearance and reality. God knows the difference. So we can know and understand God's justice in our lives. The third thing that I see that the writer talked about, we can understand and know God's righteousness. I'm not simply talking about understanding God's righteousness on a mental or purely intellectual level. I can say I've studied the Bible and I intellectually assent to the fact that the Bible is true. God is holy. God is just. God is righteous. I'm talking about knowing God's righteousness by virtue of a relationship or an experience. Taking it out of the theoretical realm and bringing it over into the real life practical realm of our experience. The scripture that readily comes to mind is this instance is 2 Corinthians 5.21. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Perhaps my favorite verse. For he has made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Just like Abraham in Romans chapter 4, verse 3, we receive the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ. We do not earn it. We do not deserve it. We do not merit it through anything that we do. This is not some theoretical concept, folks. This is practical theology. We can know and experience firsthand the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ because we're His children. Paul said it best in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. 
and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. I'm not righteous today because I'm a good person. I'm like Paul, I'm the chief of all sinners. But I stand before you today righteous because God for Christ's sake charged to my account or imputed to me the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I stand righteous in Him today and not in my own works. I read a story a few years ago in a devotional guide called Our Daily Bread, one of my favorite publications. A pastor's young son and his two playmates were playing outside the parsonage in the backyard and the pastor overheard their conversation. The boys were discussing important people that their fathers knew. The first little boy said, Well, my dad knows the mayor. The other boy's eyes got big. Not to be outdone, the second boy said, Well, that's nothing. My dad knows the governor. Refusing to be bested by his friends, the pastor's son matter-of-factly announced, Well, that's nothing. My dad knows God. If you know God today as your master and Jesus as your Savior, you've got a reason to be boasting. Like I said in the beginning, it's something worth boasting about. If you understand and know God's loving kindness and God's judgment and God's righteousness, then you've got plenty of reasons to boast. And the best news is this. You don't just have bragging rights for the next year. You've got bragging rights for all of eternity. For some of you here today, understanding and knowing God is not the real issue in your life. You've read the Bible. You've come to church. You've had that intellectual and that intuitive experience with God. The question isn't whether or not you understand and know God. The real issue for you today is, does God really know and understand me? In the early days of the automobile, a Model T Ford stalled out in the middle of the road. The driver could not get the car started no matter how hard he cranked it or how he tried to adjust the spark. Just at that moment, a chauffeured limousine pulls up behind his stalled car and a wiry, energetic, well-dressed gentleman stepped out of the back seat and offered his assistance. After looking under the hood and tinkering with something for a few moments, the stranger said, Okay, now try it. Immediately the engine leaped to life and purred like a kitten. Extending his hand to the driver, the well-dressed man identified himself as Henry Ford. I designed and built these cars, Henry Ford said, so I know what to do when something goes wrong with them. In Psalm 139, David said that God, who created us and has planned our lives, understands and knows us completely. He knows when we sit down, He knows when we rise up, and He knows our thoughts even before they come into our minds. We can turn to Him with confidence when nothing seems to be going right. He knows the difficulty of our situation and exactly what we need 
Because according to Psalm 147, verse 5, Great is our Lord, and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. Isn't it comforting to know that God knows and understands us today? Let's bow together for prayer. Our Father, we thank you this morning that you have made it possible for us to know you intellectually, but also have that practical, intuitive relationship through living our lives and being filled with your Spirit and led by your Word day by day. I thank you this morning, Father, that not only can we know you, but we can rest assured that you know us. You understand our frame, that we are dust. As a father pities his children, so you pity us. And we're thankful today, Father, that you've given us the opportunity to have that right relationship with you that we all need to have in order to be your children. And I pray today if there's one person here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of his life, that they will make that necessary commitment of their life to you very, very soon. We pray, Father, today that you will bless this congregation. Thank you for its pastor and for his family and for the people here who have invested in my life and the lives of so many others who have gone before. We pray today, Lord, that you will get glory and honor from our lives, that we will understand and know, Lord, your mercy, your loving kindness, your justice, and your righteousness in our life. For we pray in Jesus' name.